Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 11 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm back here with Sam Marks. How you doing, buddy? Doing great, man. Glad to be back on with you. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, and today, the topic is going to be advice for... I was going to make it 18 to 24-year-olds, but I actually think we should even start before that. So people who even, you know, even before they can, can legally start investing or dealing with money... Even when they're 17, I think there's a lot of things that they can read and kind of educate themselves on and start doing. So let's actually make this episode advice for 17 to 24-year-olds. I like it. Yeah. And so the reason why we kind of cut it off at 24, I mean, obviously, you'll still benefit from this if you're you know, 26 or even 36. It's more kind of like, this is the advice that I wish that I knew or somebody, I had an older brother or um, you know, if my dad knew, knew about finance. These are things I, I wish I knew when I was going through, through college and afterwards. Uh, because you know, I, I've made a lot of financial mistakes and I'm sure you have as well. I've made uh, more than I can count. Um... And a lot, you know, a lot of this was been through trial and error and, and some of the, I think the things, some of the failures are kind of necessary to learn how to, how to position yourself better for the future. Uh, just like they always say in business, you know, you, your failures count for your experience and your, and your future. So it's been good, but if you, of course, if you can mit- minimize those, then all the better. Uh, makes sense. And, you know, a lot of it is, you know, how our parents uh, dealt with money. So I, I'm curious, like what, like your, your parents, were they financially savvy? Did they, did they teach you, you know, tips and tricks? Like, like how are they with money? I grew up very middle, I would say middle, lower class in the USA. And in that category, my family spending was very conservative. So I, I, I had say very average clothes. Like I got new clothes from Gap maybe once a year. Um, sports equipment. I never had new sports equipment. Cars. We always rented, you know, we, we rented Honda cars or Ford cars, nothing, nothing special. But my parents owned a small furniture store and that allowed me to see the beauty of freedom and freedom of schedule. So we never had much money, but my parents would always have the freedom and flexibility to take time off work, to come to my baseball games, for us to take a, a you know, a three-day family vacation by driving. So I always appreciated their flexibility where most of my friends had more money than my family and had nicer things. Their parents were never at their baseball games or sporting events or doing vacations because they were always locked into work. So I learned lessons um, about money, more about the, the freedom of schedule that I would say more in a business uh, sense and owning your own business, more the importance of that. And because I grew up in a conservative family with conservative spending, I, I learned the importance of saving. Man, that's super valuable. I, I really wish that my, my parents kind of had that same, um, you know, same setup uh, in life. They actually had a small business, a restaurant for a while, but I was too young to, to mm-hmm. kind of understand. I, th- I think they, all, all like all I saw was the stress that they would have fighting with their partner, who till this day I I, I think it was probably like this insane woman. But you know, who, who knows whose fault it was, right? Or maybe it was just about money right. or whatever it was. But so I never really thought about it that way and as far as money you know my parents were always pretty poor i mean uh you know mm-hmm. immigrant uh immigrant family never made that much money except for actually a few years when they were running this restaurant and they 
all of a sudden it had a bunch of money. But my dad was super conservative. He's super frugal even till today. He like, you know, one of the arguments my, my parents have all the time is my dad would go out wearing, you know, his old clothes that's comfortable. And my mom would get mad saying like, hey, you have all this new clothes. Why don't you wear it? And mm-hmm. it's one of those things where my dad, like, he is over, he's kind of over conservative with money. I think, I think he's a little bit too frugal, a little bit too cheap. And my mm-hmm. mom, she's the exact opposite, which is like, she likes to spend. And, and here's an example is we used to always, you know, buy, uh, the cheapest car possible. <laughs> I remember, you know, those, those, those Sunday ads you get where you get like the, the one car that looks like it's ultra cheap. But it's just mm-hmm. to get you into the showroom, and nobody actually buys it because there's no, <laughs> there's no electric windows or, or locks. Well, my dad walked in. He's like, "I want this car," and the guy was like, "Oh, well, you know, I can show you that car, but you know, just to let you know that one doesn't have uh, anti-lock brakes." My dad's like, "It's okay, I don't need it." <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> "He's like, well, you know, that one doesn't have air conditioning," and he's like, "It's okay." He like, "Do, do there's windows?" He's like, "Well, you know, it doesn't even have electric windows. It has manual crank uh, crank windows," and my dad's like, "This is the car I want." <laughs> Uh, <laughs> my mom on the uh, flip side uh, during that time that they were doing well with their business she got in an argument with my dad uh, about money about you know because um, she wanted to spend more and she stormed out you know they had a big fight she stormed out she came back with a brand new sports car Jeez. and just you know out of the blue and it was like I was you know like 14 at the time so I didn't really understand what was happening but for my financial knowledge, you know, they never talked to me about money. They never really told me how much money they would earn or how much they would spend or expenses. Mm-hmm. You know, it turns out we like we we financed our house, you know, four times, and I had no idea that they were doing that. So I, I never learned any of this stuff. Um, and I think I got a little bit lucky because I happen to have really good credit today. Actually, I'm mm-hmm. curious. What, do you know what your credit score is? Um, I don't know. It's unflawed. I would say I've never had any any delinquent issues with uh, with my credit, but I don't ever check it because I never really take credit. Yep, I'm the exact same way. I have no idea what the actual number is, but I think I'm gonna guess it's like 750. You know, something very very high. Like mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if anyone. I don't know how to get like a perfect you know credit score. I don't even know if that exists, but it's definitely high. But it was all completely by accident. It was kind of by luck because mm-hmm. I never learn any of this stuff so mm-hmm. if somebody is getting ready to to turn 18 right so let's say someone's 17 still what are you know what are some of the things that they can do um for me i don't even know where i heard this i just got lucky someone just mentioned it they said to me like you should go out and get a secured credit card have, have you ever mm-hmm. heard of that do you know what that is no it's so you can't actually have a credit card to you 18 but when you're i think 16 you can go out to a bank and say I want to put $250 into a savings account that I cannot touch and please issue me a credit card so I can have a $250 limit. Mm-hmm. So for the bank, they have zero liability because you have the money in the bank. You, you, that's your limits. So you can't go over it. So there's zero, you know, there's zero chance for them to lose money. But what's good for mm-hmm. you is two folds. One is you actually start building your credit history two years before everyone else. And the second, because it's secured and you have a low limit, mm-hmm. the chances of you messing up, you know, the, the liability of you messing up is very, very small. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's smart. Building credit is a good thing to do for anybody. Even if you never use it, it's a good thing to have. And I think one of the great things just about having a credit card is it teaches you to spend responsibly. And that is probably enough of a lesson to go out and get one, especially at an early age, because it, it requires you to be responsible and diligent in the way that you spend. And, it, and you have to go through 
banking and learn how to reconcile and, and check your expenses and even create reports in some cases. So I think it's a really smart idea to do young. Um, I don't know. Did I have a credit card in college? I think I had a debit card only in college. I remember my first credit card I ever got. I was 18. I was sitting at my community college in, you know, in the classrooms and you're bored, right? Because you don't want to listen to the teacher. And there was a pamphlet, like one of those you know, paper uh, brochures for a credit card just in the room. They just kind of spanned it in the room. And I started reading it because I was so bored listening to whatever the, the actual class was. And I was like, I was reading. I was like, oh, okay, you know what? Yeah, let me sign up for this. <laughs> so I filled it out and mailed it in. And I remember specifically they asked me, um, how much money are you earning? And I just checked the biggest box. I think I checked like 200 you know, a, a thousand plus. <laughs> so my first credit card, I'm 18, I have no job, I have no income, and they give me like a $20,000 limit or something. Something insane. Maybe it was 10000 but it was something like, mm-hmm. in my mind, I was like, there's no way I'd ever be able to pay this off if I spent this much. Yeah. And I think it was a good thing because then it made me really, really cautious about, about spending money on a card. So I used to spend something and then pay it off as soon as it posted. So I would like literally pay it off like three days later. And I think that was the the best habit I got, I got into. So instead of treating the money like actual credit, I just treated it like, you know, uh, a, a, like a five-day IOU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, smart stuff. Well, I think everyone needs to be very careful with credit, especially at an early age. I mean, the U.S. average savings rate is currently negative, which is very scary. It just means everyone's in debt. But if you can learn to be responsible at a young age, then it'll pay dividends throughout your entire life. But I read a, a very interesting quote from none other than Warren Buffett last night that said, the number one way that smart people lose money is through debt and credit. So you have to be very, very careful, and you, especially when it comes to investing, using debt to invest. It can be a very dangerous game that can get you in a lot of trouble. But if you can learn at a young age to take credit via a credit card and to spend wisely, and scale into more credit and become more and more responsible, then I think it's a good thing and, and you win uh, just in the experience of learning. I, I 100% agree with that. I also think it's a very like dangerous, slippery slope because I think most people are going to end up messing up. Uh, I think you know, like leveraging credit to earn more money or make more money could <laughs> definitely work and that's how you know very smart investors make a ton of money. Or even like if people want to listen to episode three, Invest Like a Boss with Brian Jimmerman, you know, the reason why he makes so much money with Forex trading isn't because he's, you know, investing, let's say $10,000 and buying $10,000 with the Forex. He's leveraging it, you know, 10 10 to one or 100 to one or 300 to one. Yeah. And that's how he, you know, makes the big, big bucks. But at the same time, I think when someone is 18 and 24 and they haven't really gone through, um, all the, all the, you know, all the knowledge, um, it's really easy to end up losing more money than, than you can afford. Yeah, we talk about it in episode seven as well with Kevin Shea, and he goes on to mention that all of his, all the people that he know have made a lot of money in the real estate game have all done it through leverage. And I continue to be told that I should take take on debt to make further investments and larger investments. And it's something I've always had kind of sitting there thinking, I should do this if the right opportunity comes up. Because once you have money with, say, a, a big bank, like I have, uh, I have multiple millions of dollars with uh, UBS, I can get a secure a, uh, a security-backed loan, which basically means as long as I keep my money in the account with them, they'll loan against it for 
very low rates, you know, basically 2% or, or something extremely low. So it's very appealing to get money at 2%, but I've never done it because I'm just not comfortable with it. You know, if the rates go up, my interest rates go up and then you have all this debt. What if the investment doesn't work out? You know, so it's something that I'm still not comfortable with. Um, and I, I've never, I've never done it. I'm always considering looking at it, but the only debt that I currently have now is credit card debt, which I continue to manage responsibly um, and continue to look at opportunities in the future. But for me, debt is quite a scary thing. But I know a lot of people that have made money with it. Wait, when you say credit card debt, like how much how much do you have on there and, and how often do you pay it off? Well, I, I run up on my business credit cards. I run up, you know, probably 15000 a month on my personal credit card, maybe 5000 a month. But then I just have it auto pay. So I set it up to auto pay for my, my checking accounts. So I never have to actually manually pay off the credit each month. It just pulls directly from my, my credit card. And I go in at the end of each month and just make sure everything looks good and do a little bit of accounting. Okay. So are you, do you have it auto paid to the minimum, a set amount or the full amount? No, the full, the full amount. I've always paid it to the full amount because I think when you, when you pay off to the minimum, that's when things start catching up and, and getting pretty ugly. If you're, if you're paying off only the minimum and you're rolling over the excess each month, then after two or three months, you could have a really big bill that caught up on you. I, I'm so glad you said that because when you said you had credit card debt, it made it sound <laughs> like you were like rolling over credit card debt. And I thought, this guy's <laughs> insane. I'm, I'm not doing this podcast with this. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Well, you know, we talked about peer-to-peer lending, right? And what I've come to realize with Lending Club, which is the biggest peer-to-peer lending platform, almost all of the people on there, and this is going to billions and billions and billions of dollars every year, all of this is consumer debt. A lot, the majority of it is credit card debt. So it just shows you, like, the, and, and people are getting loans off Lending Club for, say, 50, at 15% to pay off credit card debt with their banks at like 22%. I mean, that, it's just, it's really scary, right? You're just so you never want to get yourself in yeah. that. Yeah. And, and you're playing a game that you'll never win. So I'm exactly in the same shoes as you. I've never, ever, ever missed a payment or carried credit card debt uh, because I think it's insane. Like, we would love to get 25% APR. Like, but can you imagine that? If, if we can invest our money, if we can get 25%, that's what credit card companies are taking from you. Or sometimes yeah. even 30%. So if yeah. you wouldn't, you know, it, it's it's unfathomable, you know, for someone to give you thirty percent interest. Why would you pay someone thirty percent interest? It's it's, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. That's sickening. Yeah. So I think that should be a big lesson for every someone listening. One is start building your credit as soon as possible, you know, but never ever carry a balance like for right. for no reason. If yeah. you guys are Step ready. Into in, it. Yeah, if you guys are already in debt, that's a whole other topic. Uh, I feel bad for you guys and. You know, there are ways to, to solve it and get back on your feet. But I think it's for at least this episode, maybe we can make that a future episode, how to get out of debt and how to, how to you know, kind of figure out your life if you've messed it up. But yep. I'd rather focus on all the people who have not yet messed up and, you know, I prevent that in the first place. I, I think, I think that's a better use of our time right now. Agreed. Okay. So before we get into to all the other, you know, investment type things that people 18 and 24 should be using, do you remember what the first book or, a resource, you know, was it a class that you took in college or high school? Was it a book mm-hmm. you read? Was it a course? You know, what was the first introduction to to money or finance? 
I think books are, the content of a book is very much timely, right? If you read one of your favorite books that you read maybe when you're 18 to 22 and you read it now, it might not have nearly the same effect. So I think when you read a book in the position that you're at in life very much matter in terms of the context of you learning. But for me, the first book that I, I really read in the financial world or financial category that struck a chord and made me change the way I think, which was rich dad poor dad you know it's crazy is that was mine as well <laughs> it was a lot it was a lot of people's for sure i mean i was in a fraternity in college one person read it and then literally within the next two weeks the entire fraternity had read it people were just like you know bells going off in everyone's head but if you had never read that book and you read it now it would probably still influence you but i think because of the age we were and, and where we were it was the perfect book at that time. And I, I think that's why it's a great book for 18 to 24-year-olds. Yeah, I think that is a 100% must-read for everyone uh, who, hadn't, first off, hasn't read it yet. Uh, but definitely, you know, I would say 16 to 24-year-olds, you know, it's, you know, read it as soon as possible. Uh, the one thing that I remember from that book was thinking, you know, it, I'll, you know it, I, I, got, I got all this great advice, but I, I cannot take action on this. So I was like, oh, you know, it'd be great to have passive income. Well, great to have real estate income, but that, you know, there's no way I can get that. Well, why, why did you think that? I don't know if it was the mentality I had growing up where I just thought it was, you know, poor me. You know, I grew up, you know, in this situation where I'm not going to have, you know, like I don't have money to invest, you know, I'm not going to be able to, to, to do this. Um, I actually even remember kind of looking up passive income, like different sources. And mm-hmm. I remember reading through the list one by one thinking okay is this something i can obtain and i remember a few of them were things like um book royalties or mm-hmm. um you know like pat like patent royalties wh- whatever it was and yeah. at the time i thought there's no way in a million years i would ever get any of this and it's so insane looking at my income reports now every month and seeing you know pretty much all of it is passive income you know and some yeah, of it and- is book royalties <laughs> And and you know you know what it's not at least not yet is property right yeah <laughs> it's not even property which yet. is it's, and and that was the book that really turned you on to it but yet it's what you haven't implemented yet at this far and it was the same for me I never invested in property I read that book when I was maybe twenty I didn't invest in property till I was like twenty nine or something somewhere around then but I I think it just it's more of a way it, whether it's actionable or not when you read it it changes the way that you view investing and building wealth i think the, the biggest lessons learned from it were um buy assets not liabilities mm-hmm. and you know how to think about money and think about business and think about you know all the things that you wished that your dad would have taught you that he just mm-hmm. either didn't have time to or didn't know himself uh, yeah the so the two things i would not recommend for the book is number one is you know, having your first investments, investments being buying single family homes as rental income. Mm-hmm. I think if you are going to buy real estate, it should probably be multifamily homes, like maybe apartment units or, um, or if you're going to buy commercial, you know, real estate to, to lease out offices. I think that's the, the better idea. Uh, or even REITs, which uh, we, you talked about in what, what episode was that? Uh, we've talked about them in several episodes now. Yeah, uh, but like these are much better ways than going in and buying a single family house, especially if you've been watching like this, those you know renovation TV shows or like you know flipping houses. Mm-hmm. It's 
I would. That's not something I would. I would personally recommend. I think it's a lot more work than people think it's going to be, and all your eggs in one basket because you have one unit. So that one unit is uh, is empty, is vacant. You are, you know, you're a hundred percent liable for for that month's mortgage. Versus if you have ten units, you know, and one unit is empty, you're still ninety percent full. Yeah, I think that's that's good advice. And the great thing, if you invest in a REIT, you could invest as little as whatever you could invest $500 or less, but let's say you invest a thousand dollars, you're in college or you're just starting off. You can invest, you can buy the shares if you want to, and you're not comfortable, you can sell them the next day. It's just like a click of a button and it gives you the, the feeling essentially of being a landlord where you're going to collect rent. Most of these REITs pay out dividends each quarter. So it's not like getting a, a monthly payout, but Let's say you hold you hold the REIT for three months or six months. It gives you the feeling of being a landlord where you're co- collecting rent, but without all the headaches. So it's a good way to to start understanding real estate, understanding what assets are being held, how income's coming in, maybe what debt you have to pay off. You can look at all this through their financials and their operations without actually having any of the headaches that go along with owning an investment property. Yep, 100% agree. And the second thing about Robert Kiyosaki, which I poured at, is... I don't know what he's been up to now, but I see like it almost looks like some kind of like multi-level marketing thing where the, yeah, his, yeah. his new um, Rich Dad Academy. Uh, I haven't been through it. Uh, not something I would personally recommend. I feel like it's been a slow slide since he wrote that book. You've been trying to to continue uh, the the upward tick, but I would just stick with that book and let that book lead into to other things. That, that's a great starting point for people. Like we said, to change the way they they think, and from that, I think you can get into a lot deeper reading, a lot more niche investing of real estate. That book will really just open your mind to wanting to improve yourself and your financial position. Yeah, I don't know if it was the second book, but it was also written around the same time. It's called the uh, Cash Flow Quadrant, and that was a mm. pretty good book too. It wasn't as interesting, uh, you know, it wasn't as exciting to read, but it gave me all knowledge. And it was basically, are you an employee, a business owner, a um, you know, or whatever the other two were, and it mm-hmm. kind of showed you the pros and cons of being in each category. So that, that was very helpful. But the the most helpful thing that he's ever put out is actually his board game. Did you actually play that board game? Yeah. So the the board game is called Cash Flow One Hundred One, and I think there's an expansion called like Cash Flow Two Hundred Two or something. But what I did was I looked on Meetup.com for cash flow groups, and I think this is a great idea for for everyone to do in your own city. Go there. And do not let anyone give you any advice. Play it as you would with your own money. So kind of almost kind of pretend, you know, this is, you know, you are actually buying real estate. You know, don't ask anyone Mm -hmm. any advice. Just go there and be prepared to be humbled because you're going to end up making a lot of mistakes. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're going to end up not understanding the accounting. You're going to probably mess up. You're probably going to lose money, which is the the most valuable lesson you can learn. That's great. And when I read the book, the game wasn't out yet. And everyone was searching, trying to figure out how to get their hands on it. And then I think by the time the craze had died down, the board game then came out. And by that point, we weren't even really talking about it or looking anymore. But from the book, they talk a little bit about the board game. It seemed like an amazing idea. I would almost say maybe like a much more modern, detailed version of Monopoly. Is that fair to say? Yep. So imagine Monopoly, but you have an actual P&L statement, like a mm-hmm. profit and loss statement, and you are doing accounting that you would, it's probably as detailed or more detailed than my actual business. <laughs> so I learned pretty much everything I know about keeping my expense reports and my profit and loss statements for my actual business, which was doing hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of dollars from playing that game. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something. 
So once you, when, when you talk about 18 to 24 year olds, I think one of the most important things that you get into with trying to cr create wealth for the future and create a, a base of, of experience and knowledge for the future, I, one of the most important things you can do is, of course, educate yourself in as many ways as possible. And just while we're on the topic of books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it was both number one for us. We just found out, is there any other books that, for you that were, that were really life-changing in that, in that uh, kind of era? Unfortunately, I didn't read this other book until much later where it, it didn't matter for me anymore because I already learned those lessons and I kind of got lucky and I, and I didn't waste my time with these things anyways. But one book I would recommend to everyone, especially if you guys have the idea of thinking you, know, you want to buy... You know, if anyone here thinks that they want to make a million dollars and go out and buy a Ferrari... Uh, you should read this book. It's called, uh, I think it's Millionaire Fastlane by MJ DiMarco. And in mm -hmm. it, it's, I, I listened to the audio read it, yeah. book version and it was really long because it kind of just repeats itself over and over again. But I think it's very valuable for someone who's 18, 24 because I wasted so much money on buying crap. You know, I mean, and, and by crap, I mean like luxury goods mm -hmm. or, you know, partying or, you know, going out and drinking and, uh, you know, or fixing up my car. I think that was the biggest waste of time ever. But you know, buying exhaust and rims. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and for my for my car, uh, he basically talks about: Are you in the slow lane of financial success or the fast lane? And I think, and it's been so long, but the, basically, he he mm. he will convince you that you are a freaking idiot if you're buying if you're wasting money buying crap. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's a great one. We'll have to uh, add to the reading list. And I would just say the one other book that I also read, unfortunately, recently, instead of when I was much earlier, is The Richest Man of Babylon. Have you read that one? It's on my reading list. And I haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. So that's super short book. I think it's only 160 pages and they're short pages. They're, you know, big letters, two paragraph type things. And they're just fables from 5,000 years ago. They're extremely easy to understand. They're, they're, they are kind of generation transcending, right? They're, they would have applied 3,000 years ago and they apply today. And it's, it's a really intriguing way to read because it's written in this, this old, almost old English way of, you know, <laughs> of civilizations back in Rome and stuff. So I would highly recommend that. There's lessons that I bring up regularly on that in my calendar just to, to kind of chime in and, and put it on my radar to consider again. So Definitely get to that one. I actually I listened to it on audio and read it, and both equally as good. So highly recommend that book. Okay, I like it. Uh, and I would say the other book that we've both mentioned in I think episode one uh, is a book where it may not be the best book out there. I mean, I, there's a lot of people who you know have pros and cons on it. Uh, you know, a lot of people who argue that Tony Robbins, you know, he himself doesn't know. You know, he's not an expert in investing. But the reason why I liked it is because. He doesn't really try to make himself out as an expert for investing. He, you know, is kind of like us where he's trying to gather information from experts and, and, and share, you know, all the points of views, all the sides of it. I also have a feeling that a lot of, you know, professional investors don't like him and don't like the book because, mm -hmm. you know, either they have a conflict of interest, uh, or, you know, Tony, you know, they feel like Tony's pushing his own agenda with, um, with the, the program that he is recommending, which I, you know, I, I believe he is, but, uh, or, you know, for other reasons, right? But in overall, that book contains so much valuable information uh, from so many top-level experts. So if you read Money Master the Game, don't take everything, you know, 
all his advice, especially you know him uh, recommending um, was it Stronghold or the mm-hmm. All Seasons portfolio. Don't you know just take that to heart. And I think he almost kind of teases you throughout the books, you know, kind of saying, I have this ultimate, you know, no-lose situation, you know, that I'm not going to reveal until the end of the book, so, you know, you know, keep, you know, keep reading. Uh, ignore that part of it and just read it, you know, and take the advice, you know, uh, as, a, as a big blanket overview of what finance and investing is. Yeah, that's well said. A hundred percent on my, my recommendation list. I just wonder if I read it when I was 20, how it would have appealed to me. I feel like it there are some just kind of elementary principles in there for everybody. I'm not sure if I would have got in as deep into the stock investing and taken that as far to heart as I have, because I just read that book last year. And it's a big book, um, so it takes it takes a little bit of, of grunt work to get through it. But for sure, it's a, a recommended reading for, for anyone, whether I guess you're 18 or, or 45. Um, I recommended it to my dad after I read it, and he loved it as well. And, and some of the some of the most famous hedge fund managers that I listen to have all also recommended it. So that's a good boost of confidence right there. You know, I think you're right. And, and if looking back when I was 18, 24, I would not have finished the book. Uh, I might have mm-hmm. picked it up. I might have skimmed through it. I might have skipped chapters. There's no way I would have actually finished the book because it didn't apply to me. I didn't have the money to invest anyways. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't have thought, you know, about the future thinking, oh, this is giving me a good foundation for the future. I just would have been like, oh, this is too long, it's too boring. Because I barely got through it now. I mean, you know, even yeah. though I was interested. So pro tip for anyone who's 18, drink two Red Bulls and listen to it on two times speed. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so someone right now, he's they're 18 to 24, right? They don't have any money to invest. They haven't you know, had a business yet. They haven't had an exit yet. They, they don't have the income to start investing. Uh, let's, let's talk about some of the things that you definitely should not invest in. And then some of the things that, you know, maybe you could, you could start with. So for me, I, I wasted a lot of money, um, listening to my sister, unfortunately, who was working for this company that was selling, um, I think like life insurance. It might've been annuities, to be honest. I, I actually don't, I don't even understand it to today. I just remember she worked for this company. Uh, so, th- and she like, they convinced, you know, us, me, my mom, uh, to go in and start putting money aside. And then they showed us these graphs that were like, if you put in $250 a month now, for the you know for the rest of your life when you are 50 you're going to be a millionaire and all these things mm. actually did make sense on paper but the reason why it was a waste of my money and I wish I never would have done it is there was no possible way I was going to con- continue putting $250 a month in uh, throughout high school and throughout college you know mm-hmm. especially cuz some months I didn't you know a lot of times I didn't have income at all so that was one downside and the second downside was the withdrawal penalty was really big uh, so I ended up losing, mm-hmm. you know, I don't even know how much, but I ended up losing quite a bit of money withdrawing it early. I think if I had just left it in there, you know, uh, you know it probably would have been a good investment because then, you know, it's every investor's dream to to start investing when they're like 15, right? Because you imagine mm-hmm. if you're putting in 250 bucks a month since you're 15 and you're growing it, that would have been great. But realistically, you're going to use that money for college. You're going to use that money um, for, you know, to travel or you're going to use that money to buy your first house. Yeah, that's great advice. So, so how much money did you lose, Johnny? It, it probably wasn't that much. I honestly, you know, can't recall at all, but it was probably like, I, you know, put in a couple thousand dollars and then I ended up taking a, like an early withdrawal penalty. Um, yeah. And, you know, 
and till this which, day, which you really know? sets which sets you back and and hurts your you know hurts your confidence when you're that age, right? Mm. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I thought like, oh, I just got you know, I just wasted my time. I mm. think in retrospect, if I if I actually wanted to invest that money and I wanted to to make gains from it, I think it's a very valuable lesson to put money aside in every month, uh, especially if you are you know, working like your first job and you're 15 or 16 and you you have extra income. I think it's much better than just blowing it on something. So what, what do you think would have been like, like what was the first time you saved money? What was it in? And kind of, what do you think is a, is a good idea versus a bad idea? Sure. So I I always saved money through summer jobs and whenever I was uh, in high school, I was always working as a, a golf bag boy or at a restaurant after, after work, or I'm sorry, not after work, after school. So I saved a little bit of money by the time I got to college, I think I'd saved like $9,000 or something. And then while I was in college, I continued to work and save a little bit of money, not much. But I lost quite a bit of money in college against my dad's advice because my dad also lost money in college and it was through the stock market. And what I realized was you're just way too emotional to be investing in stocks in college as, as your first experience. And the difference in today's age and say 30 years ago is back then it was very difficult to stay on top of stock prices every single day, right? There was no computer screens in front of you, no mobile apps, but now you open up your computer. Like I open my phone. The first thing that comes on my phone is, is the stock market, right? Got that little app. I wake up, I look at the Dow Jones. I mean, it's, it's much more of an emotional game now. So my dad, when I was only 10 years old, he gave me some Disney stock. But instead of him transferring me shares on E-Trade or some other investing platform, he gave me a piece of paper that said, you own whatever, 120 shares of, of Disney stock. And I still own that today because it's locked up in a safe. I don't see it on my screen. It's, it's just hidden away, right? It's out of view, out of sight, out of mind. So in, in college, I opened up, a, I think it was a Schwab account or, or a similar one. And I took my, say, $7,000. I invested 5000 into stocks. I didn't go into funds. I didn't have the, you know, the, the intel, I would say, or the knowledge to invest in, say, an index fund at that time. I just went in and bought a few different tech uh, funds that... Remember, you know Kramer, the Kramer, the uh, the crazy guy on what is it, CNBC? <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, yeah. That oh god, don't, don't listen. To that's that when he was. Yeah, he, I mean, that's when he was becoming so popular and people were loving him, and his show was his show was like number one. So of course I go on. He's touting a new stock every day. It just happens to be a day that I'm, I turn on the TV. I'm like, okay, I'll buy that, that, and that. So then that's 2006. Then 2007, we know what happened. I got super emotional when the market started tanking and I sold out and I, you know, I lost, I don't know, maybe 30%. I was in tech stocks. The tech stocks got hammered. So I ended up losing like 30%. I remember waking up one morning and just almost crying. I turned it on. It's all red. And then, you know, you're in college, you're about to graduate and you're like, what, you know, this is, this could be my, my lifeline for a couple months or a year or whatever. So yeah, you sell at the bottom. And I think, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, of course, but it's very difficult to invest when you're in college or say eighteen to twenty four, and to to be to have your emotions detached from it. Of course, you're you're emotional at that age in general, and when you have a little bit, just a little money, and you're investing in stocks and you're losing ten percent in dips and stuff, it can be very very emotional. So I would be give a lot of caution to anyone who's thinking about invo- uh, investing in market at that age. 
and especially if you're going to try to pick stocks. Yeah, I 100% agree. I was almost going to suggest you know people you know uh, play um, with stocks on paper, you know, so they can mm-hmm. kind of learn about investing. But I think the downside of that would be if you happen to do well on paper, it might give you this false confidence that you can beat the stock stock market and you start using sure. real money and lose it. I think the only mm-hmm. benefit is if you lose a ton of money, then maybe you'll think, okay, you know what, this is, I should not invest in individual stocks. But at the same time, you might think, oh, it wasn't real money anyways. Um, so I, I, I'm going to follow your advice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that if you're 18, 24, emotionally, you're not ready to, to see these big swings, ups and downs with the mm-hmm. stocks. <coughs> the, if you really wanted to invest money, you actually had the extra money to invest, I would say buy something like an index fund like VTI with, and make a rule where you, you know, write it on a piece of paper and say you're not allowed to sell it when it's down. You're never mm-hmm. allowed to lose money. Why don't we give an example of, say, $10,000? Let's say you're 18 to 24. You have very limited experience in investing. Where would you put your... If you have $10,000, you don't have to invest at all. What would you do with it, Johnny FD, going back 10 years? So personally, I would have went out and bought a, a used sports car <laughs> and tried to <laughs> get as many girls as I could. <laughs> but if, if I was going to go back with knowledge I have today, <laughs> what I would... What I would do differently is I would put 3,000 of it into VTI, this the, the total stock market index with Vanguard. So that's the minimum to open an account with them. Uh, I would put another, let's say, $3,000 into a separate account like a, in my bank that I just can't touch. That'll mm-hmm. That the only purpose of it is to invest uh, in more VTI stocks every month on the same day of the month. So... You know, I would de- I would divide three thousand by by twelve, which is probably like two hundred fifty bucks or something, and basically buy two hundred fifty dollars worth of shares of VTI every month for the next you know basically indefinitely because you know hopefully that mm-hmm. that I'll be earning income and that'll be growing as well. I would always keep a couple thousand dollars on cash reserve because you that's the worst thing you can do is overinvest and buy you know too many investments that are first off either not liquid or even if like a stock is liquid. You, you end up, you might lose money because, because of bad timing. So if you happen to need money to pay your tuition, uh, and the stock market happens to be down, well, you're screwed. So you always want to have some kind of cash reserve. Yeah, definitely. Even growing up, even like when I was really young and I would get like birthday money or whatever it was in my savings account, I would erase three zeros. I would assume that a thousand dollars was zero. In my mind, I just told my, I told myself if I go over, if I go under a thousand, that means I'm in debt. And that way, mm-hmm. I always had a small buffer because I, I, you know, what you never want to do is get in a situation where you are paying fees or credit, you know, or, um, you know, being charged interest for money you don't have. Uh, so, you know, whatever that amount is, whether it's a thousand or four thousand, just consider that amount zero. Good conservative strategy. I would just say that I don't think the type of money that you're going to be investing, really anything under, say, like $20,000, again, going into a kind of a specific example of someone who's 18 to 24 and just starting out, I think the best thing you can do is invest in yourself. I don't think you'll ever get enough returns out of, say, buying index funds or making any type of, of loans or investments that will be more beneficial to you than investing in yourself. And what, what I mean by that is not necessarily going and starting a startup, but it is p- 
potentially traveling, potentially investing in a friend's business. It could be learning a second language. It could be working as an internship for a startup and, and, and not getting paid and living off of your money instead, but getting that experience. There's so many things that you can do when you're 18 to 20 for just like reading these books that we recommended that the impact on your life and your, and your future wealth will be so dramatically benefited by taking these steps instead of say investing all of your money in bonds or stocks or wealth front or any of these other things that we talk about. I think the number one thing you should always think about is invest in yourself. And even if that's just going to networking events and wearing nice clothes and, and, um, and taking some, some potential mentors out to dinner or something, I think that's the number one way to get ahead. If you have spare cash, I would say, I agree with, with Johnny's, um, take is to, instead of investing in stocks, invest in index funds. But what you might want to consider doing is take a little bit of money and put it into an index fund and take a little bit of money and put it into a bond fund. And don't expect to make a lot of money out of each of these. Do it for the experience. Watch how they perform. Understand what it's like to, on your index fund, which is going to be mostly looking to get capital gains by the increase of profits in the companies that it holds. And then the bonds, which are much more uh, dividend yielding. So look at what it's like on a monthly basis. The bonds are going to give you a little bit more money back in cash. And the index fund of stocks, you're going to hope that that makes those companies grow and make make capital appreciation. So the, having those two kind of side by side as apples to apples comparisons will give you a much better understanding of the stock market as a whole. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I like that advice a lot. Uh, what were some big wastes of either time or money when you're you know around that age that you would do differently or advise differently? To be completely honest... I'm very happy with how things turned out in my my I would say my po- my college and post college years because I didn't waste time. I was very aggressive. I wasn't settling for any type of say company job or or comfort. I was I was starting my own startups. I was working with startups. I was investing. I was I was losing money in the stock market for a, a lot of that time, but I was I was very aggressively pursuing better things. So I, there's not a lot I would do differently. There's not a lot of money I wasted because I was living with my parents and living on a, on a shoestring. Well, you know what? I mean, if anything, that's good because you are mm-hmm. super successful today and it kind of shows the path that you took worked you know, well for you and so it could work well for others. Uh, mm-hmm. I am not as successful and the re- well, I think some of the reasons for that is because I wasted a lot of time uh, between... Mm-hmm. So at 18, I went to a community college uh, just with the sole intention of meeting up with friends so we can go out and hang out afterwards. We can go try to meet girls, uh, you know, at the mall or something. And it was just a big waste of time, not, not caring about school, but going anyways, um, not thinking about like the future, just, you know, kind of getting jobs because I thought that's what I had to do. So, you Mm -hmm. know, I would go, I would take internships. I learned nothing from just so I can have it on my resume. And I worried, worried so much about building up this freaking resume. And you know what? I don't use it today. Like I, I would burn. Yeah. I, I'm never going to submit a resume anywhere again. I don't even have a LinkedIn because it reminds me of having a freaking resume. And I, there's no, there's no one in the corporate <laughs> world I want to impress. I like, I don't care. 
I yeah. like it. I yeah. like it. But you know, this is very much the era that you, you know, you're say four years older than me. No one was doing startups when I was in college, which means no one was really doing startups when you were in college, right? That's correct. Uh, but at the same time, it's one of those things where I think, you know what? I remember when I was in college, it just started. I happened to be living in San Francisco and I was into computers because I, I liked playing video, you know, video games. I liked chatting on AOL. I, I liked, mm-hmm. you know, all those, you know, all, all the tech stuff. And I actually was kind of like helping as tech support during my internship because everyone else at this, um, it was actually a property management firm in San Francisco. They were, you know, in their 50s and they were terrible with computers. So I was almost kind of like their in-house tech support, even though I was just this kid that didn't know much. And I would always be on the phone with the actual tech support for the company, um, you know, kind of troubleshooting problems and i know 100 percent that i could have just gotten a job you know as you know maybe not in a, in a startup environment but at least something to do with tech something to do with computers mm-hmm. even if it was just tech mm-hmm. support instead of going to college and yeah. i think there's a very very good chance that would have led to me working at a startup because i was already in san francisco and you know who knows like who knows what big company i could have been working for or who yeah. knows what you know what company i could have been a um, kind of initial founder for yeah definitely i mean that's it's hard to see of course hindsight's 2020 that time i think when we went to college was more difficult if i was in college now and i guess this would just be advice for for anyone that's in college or out of college and there's really no age limit on it we have an intern right now that's that's 26 years old he just got out of the military he's looking at doing either corporate work and wanted before he accepted a job he wanted to do he wanted to see what startup seems like. So he's doing a six-week internship. So these don't have to be super long commitments. They can be, I know there's people in Singapore that are doing, they have this thing called externships. And it's literally one-week internships where you go in, you do a bunch of dirty work for a, start, a, start, a startup, but you get to see the inside operations of what working in a startup's like. And I would say that that is probably one of the most valuable things that anyone can do. It doesn't matter if you're 30 or if you're 18 or even younger to get experience and see what a fast paced startup environment is like is going to pay huge, huge dividends to you in the future. And not even just the experience, but the connections that you're going to make, you know, meeting people at that internship, the externship, because if you kick ass or you have good, you know, you have a personality that people kind of get along with, they're going to want to mentor you. They want to introduce you to someone else. That's invaluable. Yeah, definitely. And with a mentor, or I'm sorry, with an internship comes mentorship a lot of times. And I know both you and I, Johnny, both had owe a lot of our success to mentors, right? 100%. Yeah. I mean, and you can call mentors whatever you want. It it can be a friend or or someone that was your old boss that you might not even had a good relationship with, but taught you a lot. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways that mentors actually come into your life without actually being labeled a mentor. But definitely the easiest, for sure, the easiest and most efficient way to get rich in today's world is the same as it was 5,000 years ago, which is become an apprentice, get a mentor, right? Back in the day, if you wanted to learn a craft like you know sword welding or gold lending, you got a mentor and you became an apprentice and you worked for them and they taught you the skill and, and then you, you, know, you mastered it. And today, it's, it's very much the same. You got to get you got to get a mentor, and I'll, and often, Johnny, I'm not sure exactly how, how you got one, but a lot of times that just means going and busting your ass for someone for free, 
just in just to learn the trade, right? Yeah, uh, I would say that is one of the best ways to do it is you know to either get an internship or just <clears throat> offer to work for free or you know or just mm-hmm. just give value. Uh, the way I did it was actually a little bit a little bit different. Both my mentors. I got them through providing them value in things that they were not good at. So either one, you know, the first guy was literally just because I was way better at socializing and picking up girls, he, you know, wanted to hang out. <laughs> and it was a, a great time because he was this millionaire guy that, you know, just was so busy working all the time and never really developed those those social skills to go up and chat up a girl at a bar that he wanted to hang out with me because I had those skills. So that actually is a big reason why um, I was able to, to kind of get that mentorship um, is because even though he was way better at money and finance, I was way better at having fun and going out and being social. Uh, my, you know, with Anton, uh, my other mentor, it was because I was, you know, I had the experience of Thailand and travel and, you know, um, you know, even and putting together events and you know things like that that really had nothing to directly do with business per se. But it was like he, you know, was very successful with his dropshipping stores and his 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 business. But he had just started traveling. He knew nothing about mm-hmm. where to train. Um, you know, at a gym. And, you know, in Thailand, he didn't know where to travel to. He didn't know like you know where to go have fun basically. And that was me becoming his friend and. You know, and kind of providing that value, uh, and in return, you know, we would hang out and whatever. I would have a question about like my my e-commerce store, he'd be able to offer his value back. I like it, and and that just goes to show there's so many different ways that you can offer and add value to somebody's life and profession without being specifically skilled in that actual profession, right? And it'd be a fantastic thing to have someone come up to you and say, "Hey." Johnny, uh, I know you're a busy guy. I am going to come to Chiang Mai and all I want to do is do your laundry, make sure that you have food on your table and we're going to go do Muay Thai together whenever you want and I'll do X, Y, and Z for you. The only thing I ask is just share a little bit of your experience with me because I'm hungry and I want to get off to the right start, right? So that that definitely makes sense. I would advise do not write that in an email because it just sounds creepy. <laughs> it sounds creepy, right? So if you really wanted to do that, what I would suggest you do is move to Thailand anyways, start training you know, at, at a Muay Thai gym anyways, and then uh, meet me kind of organically either through the gym itself or at a co-working space, whatever it is. And then kind of offer, I wouldn't say like, okay, I'm sure there's some people out there that would take someone's like, you know, slave labor and do like, <laughs> do their laundry. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not that person. I probably wouldn't even advise you to to want to uh, be associated with somebody who would, who would do that. Because then I almost feel like they they wouldn't appreciate you or respect you as much if you're, if you're just doing like laundry. But I think, you mm-hmm. know, things that they would be really good at would be like, if somebody was you know, kind of in person and they were like, Hey, do you need help, you know, organize this, this event or do you, do right. you help, you know, setting up the next, um, you know, coffee talk or yeah, hey, yeah, you know, yeah. So, stuff like that. Like things that like, you know, are actually kind of more useful and don't, don't sure. feel as like degrading. Yeah. I like it. And, and- it, basically, if you're hungry, there's there's always ways to present value to someone and, and to get in. And just going back to my how kind of I got started, I mean, I basically I, well, I, I started a website and I sold it to a guy. So that's that's already a big jump. It's not something that's exactly quick and easy to do. But just to give you a make it a little bit more simple, then I end up going and working for him at his at his business doing very low level marketing 
And I was the guy, they were hiring all these PH, uh, PhDs and MBAs from like Duke and Columbia for this business. All these people were way, way smarter than me. They all had a lot more value on paper than me. But what I was willing to do was just work my tail off, right? So I'm the guy that was there getting into work every day at eight o'clock and staying literally till nine o'clock every night where all these MBAs and PhDs were going home at, you know, counting the clock and going home at five 15. I'm sitting, I'm, I'm offering to go shop for, for food for the office, pick up supplies, do anything, drop, you know, drop these guys, kids off, pick them up from school, whatever it took. And so they saw that hunger and they started giving more and more responsibility and sharing their knowledge with me that led into additional things down the road and eventually them offering for me to run their next startup, which, you know, we all collaborated on and, and then they made me equal partners on something that I didn't have to put any money into. So I think when you show loyalty to people, you're good to people, you add value to their lives, but as, as much importance as it is to add value, be a good person and show how bad you want to succeed in not a creepy way by emailing, like, I'll do your dirty laundry, like Johnny said. But, you know, do it professionally. And, and, and people that are successful, especially people that are successful that have had people help them become successful, like Johnny and I, we want to help people, right? You want to be a mentor in the future. You want to see people that remind remind us of them of ourselves previously we want to see those people succeed and there's millions of of people around the world that are successful and in that position so i would just echo the easiest way to get rich is to find a mentor you know and and that that leads into a lot of things that leads into you working for their business and getting stock running a business for them um, them teaching you a skill that can make you independently wealthy. So there's there's a lot of things that can spin off from that. And you know we can we can do an entire episode on uh, how to find a mentor or how to you mm. know on that topic because th- there's so much more to say. Uh, if you guys are interested yeah. in more about finding a mentor or you know the kind of the process, uh, leave a comment in this episode and let us know, and we can definitely do an entire talk on that. But let's like let's it. get back to to 1824. You went to college. I went to college. Do you regret it? Did you learn anything from it? I don't regret it because I had a very unique college experience. I'll just say in short that my freshman fall, my, which is my freshman, my first semester, of my freshman year, I got arrested four times, and it was stupid stuff. It was it was underage drinking, underage drinking, criminal mischief for breaking a window, and fake ID. <laughs> but what happened was, <laughs> I. I knew I was not a bad person, but the whole justice system and the academic system made you want to believe that you're just this piece of crap that needed to drop out. And it put me in this extremely defensive, prove it to the world type of position. And the other thing that happened along with changing my mentality of, of how I looked at the world and myself was my dean said, I was, at the time I was a criminal mischief major, or <laughs> criminal mischief major. <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh, cr- I was a criminology major, which means I, I was trying to work for the government. I wanted to be an FBI or, or CIA or secret service of some sort. And my dean basically goes, you're never going to get a job with the government as long as you live when you have four arrests on your record. So I go, I go what do I do? She goes, drop out and, and become a business major. I'm like, all right. So I did that. And because of all the trouble I was on academic level, I had to face the fact that I probably was never going to get a job at a business if they ever did a background check. So it started making me, putting me into a, almost a forced entrepreneur mindset where I couldn't 
I could no longer go out and drink. I couldn't go out and party. I couldn't, I could barely drink behind closed doors without really being stressed and worried. So I literally had to focus and channel all of my energy into self, self progress, which is almost the exact time I read rich dad, poor dad and started getting into to student government and starting to think about how I can create a business that will sustain and, and my profession after I get out of college. So in that sense, it was very good. What I learned in school on an academic level would have been a total waste of time if I had committed four years to that and not done these other things. I like that, man. And it really kind of shows the, the different mentality that you took because a lot of people would have taken kind of like the poor me or, you know, F the system and then said, well, you know what, if I'm going to be, a, you know, if I'm going to get arrested for these stupid things, I might as well rob a bank or rob a liquor store or something. So I think that, you know, you took the the way better path of saying, you know what, let me use this as motivation to be a successful entrepreneur and not let me just give up on life. I think it, looking back, that's how it worked out. And I'm glad that I had the the resolve to be able to, to take that path because it was a very emotional it was a very emotional time that a lot of things could have gone wrong if I hadn't, if I hadn't made the right choices. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that I, I did. And I know some people don't and a lot of people don't. But if you can use that to channel energy in the right direction, it can, be, it can lead to very good things and, and good experiences in your life. How about your college? It, it was pretty much a complete waste of time. Uh, the only <laughs> reason why it was, it was beneficial is because it forced me to move out of my parents' house. And I moved from San Francisco down to Orange County, which is only, you know, it's in the same state, right? So it's not that big of a move, especially now, considering the fact that you are in, what, Singapore? I am in yep. Ber Berlin, Germany. And I <laughs> tomorrow morning, I am taking a train to Warsaw, Poland. <laughs> so I'm moving more, like, during this, you know... I love it. During this upload of this podcast than I did, <laughs> like, going, you know, from my parents' house... To, to Irvine, California, the safest city in the U.S., but it was such a mm -hmm. big move. It was so scary for me, and I I kind of owe it to the college experience of forcing me to live on my own and kind of develop those mm -hmm. skills. As far as what I learned in school, it was a complete waste of time. You know, I remember taking a marketing class and learning the stupidest things that that like you never use oh, in an actual business. It's so bad. The, the whole schooling system is so backwards. When I look back to my education and like I was taking marketing classes like you, it was just so out of date. It's like how to run an advertisement on a billboard and we're like in 2007, you know what I mean? Yeah. So what would you recommend then? If someone is 17 and they're thinking, you know, do they want to go to college or not? What would you recommend? I only really... When it comes to the core of this episode and the, the, our absolute advice, and this could be saying go to college, don't go to college, I would say I only have one bit of advice, one line of advice for anybody in, the, in that age group, and that is get involved in a startup. And that doesn't, it doesn't mean go to school or don't go to school. It can be internship for a startup on the side, start a project, start a website, start a drop shipping business, just get involved in a startup because the future and the, the whole global economy is moving to small business from these corporate dinosaurs. So I think no matter what you do, go to school or don't go to school, figure out a way to get involved in a startup. I like, I like that advice a lot. So, you know, I, and, and I like how when, when you say startup, you don't just mean like, you know, a tech startup, you mean start a business either on your own or with, you know, or join a team. And I would say Definitely, on top of yeah. on top of that, I would I would add 
bootstrap your first business. You know, don't go in and you know and borrow money from friends or family. Don't don't dip into your your savings uh, too much. You know, start your your first business for five hundred dollars or less and learn from that. You know, because you're gonna make mistakes and it, you know it at that at at this age you have what a lot of people don't have uh, when they get in the thirties. You, you you know you have that hustle, you have that grit, and say you know what I don't need to sleep. <laughs> I got rock stars. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You have the energy for it. You have the ability to bounce back at that age. And even if you don't take the risk and the financial risk yourself in starting something, and it, like Johnny said, it can be as simple as starting a blog or a website for you know 200 bucks and operating it and understanding how e-commerce and, and, and websites operate. Get, you can always get involved with one. Everyone knows someone who's starting a business. Everyone you know, at any college campus you go to now has several startups, you know, go there and, and intern after, after your classes, get involved for eight weeks, do something for them, learn how it operates, make some connections and, and network. And who knows, maybe that company, like the one Sam got involved with, we might sell for a hundred million dollars. So we, there's, yeah, there's, there's no reason not to do it. You know, on that point too, it's worth noting that we never get, we never created an employee pool for our employees, which I wish we had. But on the day that we sold, we just decided, you know what, we're going to take 2% of the sale and give it to our employees. Right. So all of these employees who had been working for us for two, three years in this exciting startup environment, they didn't even know they owned equity and they didn't. But when we sold the company, we just decided to rip off 2% and, and give everyone, um, give everyone cash outs. So they, everyone made more than their, the majority of people made more than their one year salary right there in a day, which for most of these people was like, okay, this is a down payment for a house. This is money to go start my own business. It's life changing money. That, that's incredible. So, so 2% is, is $2 million. You, you just gave that away just because you guys were being generous. Right. And I wish we had given people stock earlier in the process because it would have made them more loyal to the company. But, you know, there's a lot of people that, they, I mean, look at the McDonald, the, you know, the story behind the McDonald's uh, secretary when, McDon <laughs> when McDonald's was started, they gave us a, a secretary. They didn't have enough money to pay a secretary. So they gave her a little bit of stock, you know, whatever, some 45 years later, she's like one of the richest people in Florida. She owns this massive mansion in, in uh, Palm Beach Islands, like a $40 million home. It's incredible. And this was kind of before the time of startups, right? But now it's it's never been easier to start a business. It's never been e easier to get involved in a start a uh, small business that could make you rich, even with you know micro shares of stock. Yeah, that's uh, really really great advice, and that's I'm, I'm so glad you're on the show because you have come from that background. That's advice I never would have even thought about, and I, that's advice I wish someone would have gave me when I was starting out. Uh, I would say, as far as college, what I would recommend to people is if you know exactly what you want to do and it requires a college degree to do it, for example, if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, uh, or maybe even like an engineer, then go to college with that knowing mm -hmm. what you want to do and crush it. You know, do really well with it. Still, I'll probably start something on the side or um, either business or internship, maybe something to kind of do with what you're going to do anyways. And I would just go for, full forward. But if you're like yeah. me, where you're only going to college just to just to go because you think it need you need it for your your resume, even though you don't even know what job you want, if you're lost and you're just like ah, this is you know this is what I should do, stop wasting your time. You know, take that money, take that time, and figure out what you want to do. You know, uh, 
either by starting a business um, or, you know, maybe volunteering somewhere or I would say travel, but I'm, I'm, what I'm afraid of is if I tell someone that's 18, like, oh, yeah, you should, you know, go travel Thailand for a while. They're going to end up at the full moon party just drinking buckets all the time. Uh, that's very true. Uh, that's, a, that's a tricky one because we've never – we don't come from a culture where you're supposed to go travel after, after college. Whereas like Aussies and, and New Zealand and, and most of Europe, you know, they, they want to go travel either in college or after college. And I don't actually – I don't have advice on that because I know how important travel is. But we have done it at a later age once we've got kind of our grounding and I would say our, our motivation in place. I'm not sure how it would affect us if we were, you know, if we were 22 and taking a year off and go go travel. It could it could make you more worldly, or it could have an adverse effect on you and and just turn you into a beach bum, which is fine. But it, <laughs> if you want to build wealth, it's not going to work. Yeah, I agree with that. I would say if if you want to travel, I would do it with a purpose and not fall into just you know bounce around hostels, living as cheap as possible, you know, drink, drinking beer every night. I would do something. So for example. Um, I would go and become a dive master and work, you know, at a scuba diving resort for six months. Enjoy the crap out of it. You'll, you'll still have fun. You're starting to party on the beach every mm-hmm. night, but at least you're kind of getting something from it. You know, you're you're you know you're gonna earn a bit of money, or at least be able to live for free. Uh, you can see some of the world. You can experience some really amazing things. Or I would, you know, let's let's say you want to volunteer in Nepal or something, kind of rebuilding, um, you know, after the earthquake, and you know you're a part of a system where there's other people kind of also doing something. Then I would say, yeah, 100% travel would be a good option. But financially, if you want to build wealth and you want to kind of have money to, to invest, those are not good ways to to spend your time. I would say you should join a startup. Uh, we yeah, should, that's you know, great. Start a business. Yeah, definitely. There's. I met some guys here in Singapore that they're going to school in the U.S. and they're doing three month internships abroad, and they they were able to figure that out through their school. I guess startups are posting to these big universities, job boards. Uh, we have all these internships available. So that's another, that's probably more of a, a modern, uh, recent opportunity that some of these schools are tapping into. So that's another thing people can look to do is do, do an internship abroad with a startup in a city like Singapore, or Hong Kong, Shanghai, that has a, a big, uh, a big business scene that will give you more of a, a future benefit than going and, and hanging out on a beach in Thailand. I like that. Also, on that note, I would say ignore what you're supposed to do. So if you're supposed to go to college, you're supposed to, you know, get internships and you're supposed to, um, you know, kind of fill in your resume or your CV, just ignore that advice. You know, there's, mm-hmm. in this day and age, there's nothing you're supposed to do. Like you can, you can be successful doing anything that adds value in the world. Uh, you know, this is the f- first time in the history of mankind where if you just love playing video games and you just want to play video games all day, you can be very mm-hmm. successful being, oh, a, yeah. you know, being a full-time gamer. You know, you can, if you want to make stupid videos and put, post them on YouTube, you can be very rich doing that. I mean, yep. it's pretty much anything nowadays. If you're going to do it and, you, and you're passionate enough where this is what you genuinely want to do every day, all day, do it, but figure out a way to monetize it, to build an audience, uh, you know, so you can do publicly and then have that be a business and and don't waste time that's another thing just don't don't, don't waste time yeah. because the earlier you get started and go hard the more success you're gonna have yeah i remember when i was like 16 i started going to raves <laughs> these underground parties and i remember thinking like oh man like how easy would it be for me to throw my own rave 
and I thought, no, this is, you know, this is stupid. Like, this is a waste of time. I, sh- I need to go to college and just, um, mm-hmm. you know, you know, get a, get a corporate job. Meanwhile, you know, uh, in that, that same time frame, people that I used to probably party with and hang out with, they're like, oh, well, why not become a DJ or why not throw these events myself? And now there are these like multi-million dollar festivals being thrown like every other uh. weekend in the summer. And yeah. most of these guys are just like people like me that, you know, had this passion, really enjoyed electronic music, really enjoyed dancing, really enjoyed partying. And they just wanted to do it full time. So true, man. And I, I took a walk down uh, uh, down the river in Singapore the other night and I was thinking that it's it's never been easier to start a business. It's never been easier to get rich quick. And I'm looking at all the people just kind of like having picnics on the sidewalk and it's like. Tuesday afternoon at five o'clock, you know, they just left the office and they're, they're sitting there and there's, there's an option in life now where you can live a comfortable life and not work that much, or you have the opportunity and it's never been easier to make something really special out of your life. But you, like we said, you can't waste time and you got to go hard. And it's just a balance of, you know, if you, if you're willing to put in the time and work those long hours and, and focus every day on growing and, and new opportunities, you're going to get there. It, it might not be a straight road, but you're going to get there. But if you want to work, you know, nine to five and be out of the office at five o'clock and having a picnic down by the riverside every day, like, it's just, there's too many people that are going a lot harder than you that are working while you're sleeping, working while you're taking time off. So it's just a personal decision of what you want to do uh, and how far you want to go, but it's never been easier to, to get ahead if you want to. I love that advice. So everyone listening, uh, you know, thanks, thanks so much for, you know, for being subscribed to the podcast. If you guys have not, if you guys are listening on Travel Like a Boss and you haven't listened to both uh, podcasts, check out investlikeaboss.com. Uh, if you go to the, the show notes of episode 11, this is going to be where we're going to put all the links to, to everything that we talked about, all the books that we talked about. Um, if you guys want to enter to win a $25 gift card for doing us a big favor and leaving a review of the podcast, just go to travel like a, oh, sorry, investlikeaboss.com and click on <laughs> bonus and you can get all the details there. Uh, so do you think we're ready to, to give away another, another gift card for the week? I'm always excited for this. Okay. So, da da da. What about Brian Kwan from New York City? Brian says, been a fan of Johnny for years. This podcast is teaching me so much and I've always wanted to to learn about investing yet never knew where to look for honest advice. While Johnny and Sam aren't finance professionals, they share their experience and thoughts on what the best options are for successful entrepreneurs. There's no hidden agenda or info profit like many others out there. They bring on professionals to guest speak, offering insight into specific niches that never would have come across or considered options for someone like myself. It's crazy that this type of information about investing is barely taught in public schools. Thanks to this podcast, along with the other content of his Travel Like a Boss podcast, I'm learning so much applying this knowledge for my art career. I think everyone can benefit from what is to be learned from these podcasts, no matter what niche of or walk of life you come from. Thanks, Johnny and Sam. Keep up the great work. Much love from NYC. All right, NYC. And I'd like to thank Brian for doing our, our uh, weekly disclaimer and saying that we're not financial advisors. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so everyone, I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you all next week. Peace. Peace out. 
Thanks for listening to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.